Let's turn to Exodus chapter 33, verse 20. When Moses was so angry, he has no other reason that he can think of. Now, I'm surmising, of course. He brought the people out, and he left them for a little while. He came back, they made a golden calf, and they say, that's your God, Israel, worship the golden calf. And when he saw that, he was so angry. How can these people, who God has walked them through the sea as if on dry ground, who have made miraculous signs and wonders, and now I'm gone for 40 days. And when I come back, they made themselves a golden statue. Not of man, not of angels, a cow. You make a cow, and you call that your God. This is your God, O Israel. That's what Aaron said. And when he came down, he saw that sight, and people were dancing, and they were really happy in the sight. What are some of the stuff that make you happy today? What do you dance around today? I would say some of these things are less than cows, aren't we? What would Moses, if he sees us, what would he do? What would Jesus, when he sees what excites you, what provokes you, what would he say? Moses came down, and he saw the people dancing and praising this cow, and was so angry to the point where I am thinking that he say, you know what, what is the point? What's the point of me bringing these people out into the place where they're supposed to meet God, when they're supposed to worship God, and now they just worship some dumb idol? He said, you know what? There isn't something for me to hold on to. Then forget it. I quit. I'm paraphrasing the Bible at this point, but I'm putting myself in the mind of, of Moses. You know what Moses did? And he said, the only thing that would sustain me, the only thing that would turn me around, the only thing that would cause me to continue to walk with these stiff-necked idol worship Cow-loving people, don't get me wrong, I'm not advocate for vegetarian here. I like cow, I eat them. The only thing that would allow me, that would cause me to continue to walk with these people is that I can see you. Moses is saying that if I cannot see you, God, if I cannot see your glory, there's no point for me to continue because what I see right now is pain, is agony, is distress, it's a heartbreak. What I see, the people and their heart, and they're so easily turned this way and that way. Maybe I'm speaking for myself. The only way that I continue to walk with these people, God, is that I can see you. I know that you are here, that you exist even in this mess, even among these idol worship people. The minute they walk out of this church and they back into their old wretched lives. Why would I continue to do this? The only reason for me to continue to do this is that I get a glimpse of God's glory. Then that would give me the life to continue to be with these wretched people. And God answered Moses and he said this. He said, you cannot see my face. He goes on, for there shall no man see me and live. Okay, so now we have a dilemma. Moses wants to see God. God wants to show him his glory. But God says, well, if, you, if I show you my glory, my face, you would die. How can God show himself to Moses? without showing himself to Moses. This problem can only be solved thousands of years later. But here's a hint of how God solved this problem. So one way for God to solve this problem or mitigate this problem is God's telling Moses, Moses, I am going to pass in front of you. I'm gonna take you and put you behind this rock. And as I pass through, you can peek out from the rock and you can see my hindsight, meaning the back of God, but you cannot see my face. Meaning you know that I'm here because my presence is here, but you cannot see my face because no one can see my face and live. So that's how Moses gets to glimpse God, see the presence of God, but not be in the presence of God. You see the difference? It's like, for example, you come and see the king. You come and the king said, yeah, you can come and see me. But when you come, all he does is he's standing with his back toward you. But that was enough for Moses to continue to say, okay, I'll take your people to the promised land. 
because I know that you are with me. The presence of God is important because without the presence of God, we don't have a purpose. We don't know why. Why am I doing this for? How do we get to see God so that we can have purpose and that purpose is life? Because without a purpose, if I don't have a purpose of being here and doing this, then I'd rather do something else. But because I know and I see God, and therefore I continue to do this, even though I wish that all of you will have a life that's devoted wholly to God. But that's not the case, isn't it? We still have cats and we still have our idols, but I know that one day you and I will get to the promised land. That's what God has promised. My purpose today is to show you Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 14. Let's go there and take a look at that. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In the beginning, there was God, the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He existed beyond our ability to explain how and why and from what sense. The Trinity is something beyond our ability to explain. How is the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit one God? It's beyond us, but that is what we hold to be the truth. From this Trinity, what God does is He spoke. And when I say God, I mean, I mean the Trinity. And that word that God spoke, creation, was made from the same word, was there with God when He spoke that word. That word is the second person in the Trinity. That second person take on the form of man. That word is called incarnate, meaning become physical. So that word in that first instance where it's formless, there's no shape, no form, God is without anything that we can ascribe to him. When he spoke, that word became flesh. And that flesh came and dwelt among us. Now we can see him. The second person, when he left the Trinity, he actually left the Trinity from where God is and condescend. The word condescend means to make himself lower than where he was. Descend means coming to us. Condescend to us and take on the form of man, you and I, made in the flesh just like us. Last week I explained why that is important. And that process is called the incarnation, God becoming flesh and dwelt with us. And that flesh, in the first 33 years, was in the form of a man. After that is what I'm interested in today. Let me talk briefly about the time that Jesus exists in the flesh, the man Jesus Christ. When he was the man Jesus Christ, he walked and spoke to the people. His whole ministry was to tell the people about God the Father, who he was, what his intentions are, and what is the plan for, for us, for humanity. That was what Jesus Christ did. Now, note, he was the incarnate word of God, meaning God spoke the word that God has spoke into creation, became man. He was the embodiment of God's voice. Think about it that way. He was the walking, talking voice of God in the form of man. He is not the written word. He is the spoken word. I want to draw that distinction so that none of us will ever say that I don't need to hear the gospel. All I need is the Bible, the Holy Spirit, and me. You get no Christ. Christ is not personalized. Christ is the spoken word of God, and where he is spoken of, there he exists. This is an important concept. It's a philosophical concept. Some of you young people might understand this, but when God is spoken of, for example, if you get two people coming together and they are thinking Christ's thoughts, is Christ there? No, Christ is not there. Because Jesus Christ is the spoken word. You have to speak the word for him to be there. When two or three gather in my name, how do you gather in someone's name? You got to claim the name for yourself by speaking it. I am here in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You got to say it. Okay? It has to be spoken. Now, that word, the first 33 years of his life, before he died, he was a living, walking, breathing person just like you and I. He needs to eat. If he doesn't eat, he goes hungry. 
He is tempted just like every one of us. When he needs to go somewhere, he walks together. He's just like us. He needs to sleep when he's tired. He does everything that you and I, we do. And for the purpose of preaching the kingdom of God, he spoke God's word. We hear him. We were healed. We got raised from the dead. Remember, Lazarus in the tomb. How did he get out? Jesus stand outside and he just think good thoughts, think resurrect thoughts toward Lazarus. And then Lazarus got out of the tomb. He said, Lazarus, come forth. The word of Jesus Christ was life. Even the dead heard and was brought back to life. See, the power in the word of God, the spoken word of God, that word was crucified. We killed him. We nailed him to the tree. We killed him. Now he is gone. If the word of God was a man that we can see and behold, then Christianity would have been over when Jesus Christ died, wasn't it? Because he's no longer able to see. But then you said, wait a minute. Oh, he did not die. He resurrected, didn't he? Clever, I know you are. He resurrected, the disciples saw him, and more than 500 people saw him. But then, here's what happened afterwards. They were looking, and Jesus was ascending up into the clouds, and the angel says, men of Galilee, what are you guys doing? The same Jesus will come back the way that he came. Now Jesus, when he ascended to heaven, he ascended to heaven in bodily form, meaning flesh and blood, just like us, not a spirit. When Thomas came to him, and Jesus says, put your hand into my side, he was real, as real as we are. This is an important part for you to understand because that's how we're going to see God. This is what Jesus Christ restored for us. Jesus Christ, after that, he was no longer seen. Now, how do we see Jesus? Here's the dilemma. He's gone for thousands of years. He is physically, bodily not here. So, seeing Jesus is not about seeing Jesus with all eyes. It never was. Because Jesus was an incarnate word of God. He exists in the body for a short time so that we have eyewitnesses of the first testimony. Everything has to have the beginning. For example, you tell a story. Someone say, well, that's a good story. Where'd you hear that from? And you go, well, I hear it from Daniel. And then you go, well, Daniel, where'd you hear that from? Well, I hear that from Nathan. And then Nathan, where'd you hear that from? Well, I heard that. Well, I don't know. And then I would say, well, I don't, I can't believe your story. Your story has no beginning. Who's the first person who told the story? First people who told the story of Jesus were the eyewitnesses of his resurrection. They were there, not just one, but hundreds of them. They saw Jesus ascending. They were eyewitnesses. To what? To the body of Jesus? No. You see, Isaiah says this. He has no bodily form that we can look at. Meaning, he's not someone that we look at and say, ooh, that's a cool-looking Jesus. The Bible says no. He doesn't have a form that we look at and we say, oh, that, that looks like someone who can be my God. No. Isaiah 53, verse 2, He had no form, no comeliness, meaning pleasant to look at. When we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. God purposely chosen a body for Jesus Christ so that we look at him and we say, this person is not pleasant to look at. The Bible gives a very clear definition of what this Messiah looks like. He has no comeliness, meaning he's not pleasant, he's not no beauty that we should desire him. He was not meant to be an idol. He is meant to be someone that we can have. And you can have someone by having their word. That is why Jesus Christ is called the word of God. Isaiah 55 verse 3, this is what God says. Incline your ear and come unto me here and your soul shall live. God's method of giving us life is by hearing. As a man that was descended from Adam, we cannot see God because sin separates us from God. Because of your sin, God will not hear your prayer. That is in Isaiah 59 verse 2. God will not hear anyone's prayer, so therefore you cannot see God. No one can see God. So how can you see God and live? 
Well, you can't see God. So the only way for you to get to God is hear God. For you to hear God, the gospel has to be preached. When the gospel is preached, you hear the gospel, you believe in what you have heard. Jesus Christ died for your sin. He was crucified. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. The gospel. Remember that. That is the gospel. When he rose again, and if you believe that, that faith will cause you to be able to behold Jesus. You believe in Jesus means that you heard him, you believe his word, and you behold, you hold on to him. That's how you see Jesus. You believe in, in Jesus Christ. His blood and his flesh that was shed for you on the cross will now allow you to see God. Let's go back to the temple. How does the high priest able to go into the most holy place and live? What gave him the right to go into the most holy place and live? Before he goes into the holy place, there was a sacrifice. He has to do a sacrifice. He takes a offering, a goat, a sheep, and then he killed the sacrifice. And the blood of the sacrifice flows to the horn of the altar. He takes the incense, he captures some of the blood, and he takes that incense with the blood. He walks into the holy place. As he walks, the blood drips. As the blood is dripping, he is able to go into the most holy place without being killed. Because without the shedding of the blood, there is no remission of sin. His sin, the, the priest's sin, has to be cleansed by the blood that's dripping as he walks into the holy place. Once he gets into the most holy place between the cherubim, the mercy seat of God, if God accepts his offering, then he will fill the most holy place with his presence. That's how the priest meets God. Why did the priest want to meet God? Because once a year on the Day of Atonement, the priest comes into God with all the sins of the people. And he offered the sin up to God and said, God, would you forgive your people? And on that same day, God appears, and in his appearance in that holy place, he forgives the people and that thus making them alive. Because you are dead in your sins. Unless God forgives you, then you are now alive. That's why we need to meet God. But then, the word of Jesus Christ is that temple of God. And when he died, the reason why he had to die is so that we can have this temple. Because the seed, if it does not die, it abides by itself. But if it dies, then what happened? It becomes a tree. So when Jesus Christ became that tree, that tree enabled us, the wild olive, cut from the wild olive and grafted into the real olive tree, the tree of Jesus Christ. But he has to die. He has to be cut. He has to be marred so that we can be plugged into Jesus Christ. When he shed his blood, when Jesus Christ died, when he shed his blood, and that is why the gospel is so important that we have to preach Christ and him crucified. He died, his blood was shed, so that we, with that blood, can claim that we are pure. Our sin is purified. Why? The only way for you to see God, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How many of you have a pure heart? We need the blood of Jesus Christ because none of us can claim that we have a pure heart. But the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from our sin and guilt and purify our hearts so that we can see God. So Jesus Christ died, his blood is shed so that we can come to God and then we can have the purification of that heart and now we can see God. The seed resurrected and become what's called the body of Jesus Christ. You and I, we are sitting in this room, we are the body of Jesus Christ. There is a visible body and there's an invisible body. The visible body of Jesus Christ is this church right here. It's comprised with anyone who can come into this door and into the church. They are part of the church. When you are baptized, you are part of the visible church. The initiation into the church of God is through baptism. And when you are baptized, you are part of the visible church of God. What is the invisible church of God then? What is the invisible body of Christ? The invisible body of Christ is the church that is made up of Christians. Some of you might be sitting there and say, well, isn't that the same? Let me draw a distinction. The visible church of God has both the sheep and the goats. Those that claim to be Christians, they can be baptized, but they're not saved, the goats. And those that are sheep, that are baptized and are part of the church. 
The invisible church of God is the church that only has the sheep without goats. The visible church has both, but the invisible church only has the real, the true children of God. So the body of Christ is the place where you grow. You are the wild olive branches. Last week I spoke about this. Get cut and grafted into the body of Christ, which is the church. We are all part of the church, and you grow every time you come into the fellowship of the church. This is where God appears. How does he appear? How do you see Jesus Christ? We see Jesus Christ when we speak to each other in the name of Jesus. In the body of Jesus Christ, if I stand up here and I preach to you how to live a good life, how to live a godly life, I never mention Jesus, he is not here. If you get together, you have fun with each other, you go out, you, uh, you enjoy your time together, and you never talk about Jesus, he is not there, even though you can quote the Bible and say, where two or three gather in his name, there he is in the midst of them. If Jesus is not the subject and the object of your conversation, he isn't there. So we are purified because of what we hear. John 15, 3. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Jesus Christ is the word of God. We receive that word and that word purifies us because we hear it. How do you get pure? How do you get clean? By the word spoken to you. Let me ask you this question. Can I speak the word of God to myself? Absolutely. You can speak the word of God to yourself. Absolutely. But it is more effective when you hear that word. A person exists by him or herself exists in captivity. When you are in prison, the reason why you're in prison is that you are there by yourself alone without anyone. That's what prison means. Prison means you are in isolation, in captivity, and you are by yourself. You're free, not just talking about freedom. You're free when you are a part of a larger body. You're free when two or more people get together. Then you're free. You don't need to talk to yourself. Everything that you say to yourself, you can just think it. But when you are with another person, you can't just think it and they know what you are thinking. You need to talk to the person. You need to verbalize. Okay? You cannot hear the gospel if I just think the gospel and you're sitting there and you receive the gospel. I need to verbalize the gospel for you to hear it. And without preaching the gospel, there is no hearing. Without hearing, there's no faith. Without faith, there's no salvation. So hearing someone speak to you is building up your faith, sanctifying you. And the word has to be Jesus Christ because the word of Jesus Christ sanctifies, purifies us. When we participate, like you sitting in this room today, in the church of God, you participating in life. If the word that is being discussed between us is Jesus Christ. But it can happen in a smaller setting too. When two or three people gather and you speak about Jesus Christ, life is there. The problem that I see a lot of times is that we don't take the church of God very important because we don't see life. Well, it's also because the church never communicates life because we don't speak about Jesus Christ. But if you go to a church that speaks about Jesus Christ, then you will see life here. When the family, when your family starts talking about Jesus Christ, you see life there. But when it isn't, then you don't have to come home for lunch. You don't have to come home for dinner. You have to sit around. You have to be around anyone because there's no life there. Life is only exists when Jesus Christ is being shared because his word purifies us and we participate in that life. We see Jesus by hearing him. Let's start with 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. While we look not at things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. Notice, when we look at things not seen, the Apostle Paul, for the things which are seen are temporal. Those things that you can see are transient, they are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. The concept here is, those things that you cannot see are the eternal things. Those things that you can't see, like this book here, this pulpit here, me here, are temporal. Jesus Christ, in his flesh, was temporal. So what is eternal about Jesus Christ? Number one, his resurrected body is eternal. That is important. That's how we got to see God in the flesh. Face to face, like the Apostle Paul says. Secondly, what is eternal? His word is eternal. 
Jesus Christ's word is eternal. You can be a lot of things that people forget, but what you say will remain forever. If it's remembered, you will change. You might look at someone 20 years from now and you can't recognize them because they change. But what they say at the moment, 20 years from now, what they say remains the same. It does not change. The word does not change. The spoken word does not change. But we change. Things that we can see is temporal and things that are not seen are eternal. Number one, faith. We live by faith alone and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5.9 For we walk by faith, not by sight. The righteous shall live by faith. I want to make sure that we don't look for Jesus by sight. Not because we see someone today gloriously stand in front of a huge crowd gathering all kinds of accolades and all kinds of glory and then the next day that person say, I'm not sure if I believe anymore. That word that just got spoken trumps everything else. 20 years of leading worship by just the word that it says, I don't know if I believe in Jesus anymore. Took away everything, isn't it? Just that word. You can go back and see all the YouTube videos of all of this worship leader, all the things that he did. It was so glorious. But then your mind reverted back to what you just said two weeks ago. I'm not sure I believe anymore. Everything just vaporized, isn't it? Mean anything anymore. Words. We walk by faith, not by sight. Don't put your hope, don't put your mind in things that you can see. Focus on things that you cannot see. What is that? The word of God. In a little while, I'll be with you, but then in a little while, I'll be gone. Jesus himself says, don't try to hold on to this person, this man here. Listen to my word, internalize my word, memorize my word, and then transmit my word. That's how I will be with you. I'll be with you in my word and not in my presence. Don't rely on what you can sense or what your senses can dictate. Number two, believe in Jesus' word alone. Not by sight, not by seeing, because none of us can see him anymore. Believe in what he said. What did he say? First Peter 1.8 whom have, having not seen, talking about Jesus, you love, in whom, though now ye see him not yet believing, you rejoice with the joy unspeakable and full of glory. Not that we can see Jesus, but that we believe what he said is true. And we hold on to that. And that gives us joy. Believe in what he said. Number three, the word was made flesh, but not so that we can see. The word was made flesh so that we can have a testimony that he existed and what he said is eternal that get transmitted over the millennia. And today, I'm still speaking about that same Jesus. I don't need to see him, but I have his word, I believe his word, I will continue to speak his word, and his word is alive because we continue to speak his word. That's how Jesus is alive. We continue to speak this word that was made flesh. First John 1.14, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. How does God dwell with us? His word dwelt richly in us. The importance of you memorizing the word of the Bible, especially the word of Jesus Christ, is utmost importance. Because if you have Christ's word in your mind and your heart, then you can speak it freely at any time when his word is richly in you. And when you speak and say something that isn't Christ, there is this tension in your brain, isn't it? There's tension in your life that causes you to go, maybe, God, I'm sorry, I should not speak. I should not say that. Because God is richly dwell in you. Have the word of God in you. Don't look for this Jesus that you hang around your necklace or on the chain or on your ear. That's not the Jesus that we need to have. We need to have his word in us. He has no form. The word of God that made flesh among us and that time is over. That dispensation of that time is over. Now it is the spoken word that we have with us. Don't go for the image of Jesus Christ. Go for what he said, what he spoke, the biblical truth. The word made flesh, beholding Jesus' glory means listen to his word. Where do you hear God's word? You hear it here in the church. I hope you hear it here in the church. I hope I don't speak other people's words. I hope I speak Jesus' word here. You hear Jesus' word in the church so that you are imparted his word so that when you are with other people, you speak his word. This is how the church grows. We speak him. We speak Christ. 
Incline your ears. Come unto me here and live. God said, here is the word of God that we need to hold on to. Lastly, hearing of faith. Faith comes by hearing. Understanding comes by hearing. You might look at something and you might get it and you might not get it, but if you hear the explanation of something, you will get it. Hearing something, hearing something explained brings understanding. Let me give you a quotation for that. Hebrews 11.3 Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Through faith, not through witnessing, we understand that the world is formed by God. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Everything that you see here, did it come from things that appeared? Very interesting concept. How did this table come to being with their hands? How did that person with their hand build this table? There has to be some picture, some plan, some blueprint that exists somewhere for anything that you see become reality, isn't it? And God's answer to that is the word of God spoken. We understand that word by faith, then we make things appear out of things that are not seen. Understanding has to come first. And understanding came from faith. Faith makes understanding. And understanding makes everything that you see. Everything that you see comes from our understanding. The phone that you have comes from our understanding of mathematics, science, quantum mechanics, all those things. They all come from everything that comes from our understanding. Okay. Oh, here's an interesting fact. How about the universe? Now, you know that the universe were created about seven, seven, eight thousand years ago. What? Did, did the passages proclaim the young earth theory here? 13.8 billion years ago. Let me ask you, all of you who are astronomers or physicists, what happened before the Big Bang? What came before the Big Bang? Before the Big Bang, there's this event, and this event is called singularity. What is that? Singularity is a fancy term for I don't know. It's a technical scientific name for I don't know. That's what happened before the Big Bang. Singularity, sounds good. It means undefined, cannot be quantified, don't know. That is why Big Bang is called a theory. What I'm speaking to you here is called theology, the study of God. I told you how we come to be. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God, the Word was with God, and God created everything. Now, you can believe in a young earth. I have no qualms with that. You can believe in an old earth. I have no qualms with that. But you must believe that before all this, there has to exist a singularity, and that singularity, the unknown, is God. And He doesn't want to remain unknown. He wants to be known. The difference in what science we bring to you at the end of it is a big question mark, singularity. I don't know. It's undefined. The church wants to bring to you the answer in the beginning is God. God wants you to know Him. Have a relationship with Him. Love. Bring it all together. That's what God wants us to know. You see, we're not anti-science. We created science. The church created science. In the beginning is knowledge. And that knowledge was with God. And that knowledge was God. And that knowledge became what He spoke. Knowledge is what He said. And that knowledge, that spoken word, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can have that same knowledge through speaking of Him, about Him, to Him, to each other. He exists. That singularity is now in our speech together. He should be Christ as the object and the subject of all conversation. John 5, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but pass from death into life. So when we speak to each other, when we have this conversation, like I having a conversation with you, maybe it's more like a, a monologue. You know, you're not saying anything back to me. But when Christ is being discussed, what happens is life. Life exists here. You hear this, you have life in you. Because if you believe it, if you don't believe it, you have nothing. But if you believe it, the life is forming in you. The life of Jesus Christ is forming in you because the word that is being spoken is Christ and you receive it, you're receiving Christ and you see him by hearing the word that is being declared to you. Thirdly, 
seeing Jesus through the indwelling word, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing with your grace in your heart to the Lord. Here's your part in all of this. Your responsibility in all of this is that you need to have the word of Jesus Christ dwell in you. You need to know the word of God. You need to understand the word of God, know the word of God, memorize the word of God. You need to participate in the life of the church. So that is why when we come together, he who has a hymn, a song, a spiritual song, a word of encouragement, we come together and life being poured out as we worship God, as we sing, as we pray for one another. This is how life happens in the church. It is the conduit, it's the place where everything comes together. And the word of God comes in different forms. It can be a song, it can be a hymn, it can be a prayer. It all pours into the same place. And this is how life happens in us. The incarnate Christ gives us this word through the preaching, what I'm doing right now. Also flows life into the ears of the hearers. Two or three gather in his name, spoken by faith. God does not exist in the corner between you and the Bible. We need to get out there and interact with other human beings. Let me give you another illustration. Peter, on the roof, he was praying, and he saw the angel coming and said, Hey, Cornelius, need to hear the gospel because I want to save him. Think about that. God is telling Peter, I want to save Cornelius. You're the one who's going to go over to Cornelius and preach to him. Why does God need to do that? Why does God need to tell Peter to go to Cornelius, a Gentile, Peter, a Jew, go to a Gentile to preach the gospel to Cornelius? Because Cornelius needs to hear the word being preached. Peter could be like anyone. Yeah, you know what, angel, it's okay. I'll send him a text. He can just read my text, go on, online, read the Bible on there. There's a bunch of expositions on there. He can get saved through reading stuff online. Does it work? No, that's not how God works. He doesn't work that way back then. It doesn't work that way now. It is when we interact with people, we interact with the you. Remember this, when you interact with someone else, they are the infinite. Listen to this, when you interact with someone else, they are the infinite. Everything that happens between you two can only happen once, and that once time only. It never happen again, and it never will. Any interaction between you and someone else, I want to tell you this because I want to share with you how precious it is for us to have normal face-to-face, in-person interaction because it can only happen once in your lifetime. And it can happen infinitely different ways. There's no two times that you meet someone and it happens exactly the same way. It's precious. And the Holy Spirit does not work through dead texts. The Holy Spirit works through living beings. We speak, I speak to you today in front of you. It is the Holy Spirit working through me. If I press a recording and you listen to a recording, there's no Spirit of God in that recording. God does not work through machines. He works through men and women that He created. Not three animals. Now, you ask, I'm sitting in this room, the pastor is million miles away from another campus, and I'm streaming him through the ether. Is God there? I would not answer that today. There's a metaphysical answer, and there's a spiritual answer. I'll get to it. We will address that question, but that's a very important part. Number four in this third category, sanctifying power of the word. I said it before, you can see God by having a pure heart. How do you have a pure heart? Let me give you some references. Ephesians 5.26 that he might sanctify and cleanse with the washing of water by the word of God. Okay, so number one, the word of God will sanctify you. If you read the word of God, the word of God will sanctify you. John 17, 17, Jesus says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is true. You are sanctified by knowing the truth. What does that mean? If you don't know something, you're searching for it. You will stop searching when you know what you have found is the truth. So that's how we become sanctified because if we hold on to a lie, then we're unclean. If you hold on to a lie, then you're unclean. But when you have found the truth, and now you're cleansed from your lies. Otherwise, you keep on searching. You have never arrived. Number three, for it is in 1 Timothy 4, 5, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Praying also sanctifies you. And praying in the word of God sanctifies us. And that's how we come to see Jesus. 
Our hearts are purified by faith, and then we mature, we grow in faith. Lastly, the way that you experience Christ is to speak of Christ. Why do I do this? Because every time I stand up here and share about Jesus Christ, I live a bit more. There's a little bit more life in me. The sharing of Christ creates life in the sharer. When you share about Christ, there is a measure of life that's imparted to you, not just to the hearer, but to you. And I would argue that is more abundantly in me than it is in you. So when you speak and you share Jesus Christ, life happens in you more abundantly. Your faith is stronger. You're more solidly built when you talk and you share Jesus Christ. John 15, 3. Now you are cleansed through the word which I have spoken to you. The word of Christ spoken to us become our word. And when Jesus Christ's word become our word, we become more and more like Jesus Christ. That's how you can see Christ. The word must be spoken for it to be efficacious. We are condemned and justified by your word. You know that? The, the Bible says, Jesus says that by your word, you are condemned or justified. So watch what you say. If you speak lies, the lies will come and condemn you. If you speak the truth, then the truth will justify you. You are condemned or justified because of what you say. The church is the place where Christ is spoken of. I hope this is the place where you come here, you hear Jesus Christ. Speak about Jesus Christ. I hope the day when you come here and you don't hear me speak about Jesus Christ, just give you some moral principle, then you should come to me afterwards and say, you didn't speak about Christ. Because without speaking about Christ, there's no life. Because he is the life. He's glorified in the ears of the hearers. When you hear the words, you might be sitting there and you say, I don't know, I don't, I don't understand what you're saying. Or you might be sleeping. But if you are listening to the word of God right now, that word becomes life to you. You grow closer to Jesus Christ. We are purified by the word of God, whether you like it or not. If you hear God's word, you get purified by the word. Gratitude to fill your heart, and then you compel to start speaking Jesus Christ. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we are grateful for the word that was spoken over us, for your love, for the treasure and the depth and the knowledge of who you are given and imparted to us. May you be glorified and sanctified through each one of us, and may you be exalted in our midst. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.